Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, good morning, church. Oh, that was sad. Good morning, church. I've done funerals with more life. What was that? We're glad you're here. At least I'm glad you're here. Uh, hey, we want to give you a little commercial about an opportunity that we want to present to the church. We have the information in this week. Uh, we're going to have a trip in May of 2020 uh, for those that might be interested in going to go to the Holy Land to see Jerusalem and to walk some of the places where Jesus has uh, walked. And all that information is available to you in the uh, out at our information center. There's a brochure that explains all the costs, and we want to give you a year to prepare for that. Uh, there are a limited number of seats, but we're really encouraging people that are interested to take a brochure, uh, check it out, uh, ask any questions that you have uh, about it. We've taken a trip. It was in 2017. We took a group, and there are a bunch of them saying, do it again, invite the church. And so Michael DeFazio and myself uh, will be leading that trip and going to different places where Jesus taught, allowing you to put your eyes on it. And I just want to confess up front, I used to always say I had no interest in going to the Holy Land until I did. And I want to tell you that even if you have a, just a basic understanding of who Jesus was, standing in places that you knew he stood and seeing places that he was at and the experience of the city of Jerusalem and preparing to walk where he walked as he went to the, uh, to the cross is a powerful uh, moment. And we encourage you, if you're interested, to grab that brochure and respond as you see fit. And we hope you do. If you are visiting today, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here. And we are in the last night of Jesus' life before he is crucified. So uh, he's in the upper room. And let me tell you where we've been. On the night of his suffering, uh, this is what we've seen take place so far. Jesus gathers the disciples in the upper room for the Passover meal. And he tells them it's a new Passover. And that he won't eat or drink of it again with them until it's new in his kingdom when we gather around his table. What we just celebrated here with the bread and the juice represents that Passover meal and the body and blood of Jesus. And all of this is represented uh, in that night. But instead of just being a Passover hearkening back to the days of Israel and Egypt, Jesus forecasts that this is a new Passover and he will be the Passover lamb. His blood will cover their sins and give them freedom through the life of wilderness toward the promised land. And then Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And the disciples are uncomfortable with this, that their, their Messiah would wash their feet. But since they did not choose to serve, Jesus uses an example of his submission. And then when Peter says, I want you to wash more than my feet, Jesus said, no, let me wash the parts that are, are dirty. Jesus is, uh, he's illuminating to them that his blood will cleanse us of our sins. And no one can do that for themselves. It must be done to them. And Jesus shows his submission that night. And then he tells Judas by passing him a piece of bread, he says, go and do what you set your heart to do. And he frees Judas to go release him. On a night that he should have been the most selfish, Jesus is the most selfless. Realizing what's about to happen to him because of Judas's choice, he frees him to go knowing that through his blood, through his sacrifice, and through his submission, you and I will be made free. That he was going to do what we could not do for ourselves and it would cost him everything. And he continues. And the last thing that we know takes place in particular in that upper room is when Jesus says to his disciples, he forecasts for them what's about to happen. He tells them what he desires to give them, what his crucifixion will do. And it's amazing when you look at Jesus. 
that on the night before they leave that room, he tells them what he wants them to receive from him. And my question to each and every person this morning, whether you're a believer or someone who's just kicking the tires on this church thing and you're trying to figure out if it's for you, I want to tell you, we're glad you're here, but I'm going to ask you a question. Have you received what Jesus offered us at the cross? Let me explain. I've got two questions we're going to ask, and I'm going to ask you that bigger question at the end again. But the first question I want to ask as we look at our text is, what was Jesus preparing to give his disciples? What did he say that night that he wanted them to have when he was done? Because what he wanted them to have is what he wants us to have. John chapter 14, verses 25 through 31. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it happens, you will believe. Let's just review quickly. Jesus says there's three things he wants them to get, three things he wants them to receive from him, and it will take place through that weekend. They won't totally understand it, but here's what he's giving them. First of all, peace. Verse 27, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Verse 28, joy. If you loved me, you would be glad, that's the word for joy, that I am going to the Father. And verse 29, faith. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. Jesus wants them to know that what will take place will take them off their feet. It will shock them. It will traumatize them that they will wonder if any of this matters. What happened to Jesus? Why did this happen? What is God doing? What is going on? And Jesus warns them before they leave that upper room, he says, we are going to go and this is going to be rough, but here's what I want you to get out of this. I want you to understand my peace. I want you to understand my joy. And through all of that, I want you to trust me. I want you to have faith. Same three things he wants us to receive from the cross. He offers his disciples that night before it ever happens. See, a legitimate question is, of all the things Jesus could have given them, he could have, like said, here's the solution to poverty. Here's the solution to addiction. Here's the solution to racism and divided communities, both uh, ethnically and religiously, the hostilities in the world. And we would have wanted Jesus to say, give us a solution. Give us the key to solving the world problems. But the issue for us is he did. He did, but he didn't give them to us in that order. You see, the issues of poverty and addiction and racism and ethnic and religious hostilities all come down to three simple things. They're all symptoms. What's lacking in our lives that produces all of those things is a lack of what? Peace and joy and trusting in who he is. You see, it's an internal issue that he wants to give us so that externally we can live with a power that is just countercultural. Jesus is offering a new world order. It's not going to be solved with legislatures. It's not going to be solved with politics and power. It's not going to be solved with military might. It's going to be solved when people begin to trust that Jesus knows what he's doing and that his love makes a difference. Now, I know that seems pie in the sky and are people like, well, that's not worked so far. That's not because it won't work. It's not worked because we won't work it. We're relying on the things that we always default to, power and finances and politics, and those aren't going to solve a thing they never have. 
What Jesus offers is a time for us to open our eyes and see what he wants us to get. And at the end, we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to receive it? Because he's able to give it. Let's look at verses 25 and 26 again. Jesus says, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is so important, and I've missed it so many times reading John 14. It is so important. It's like a parent. If you are a parent, you'll understand this moment. When you've planted a seed in your child that that behavior won't pay off, or that's a good behavior, or I believe in you, and you you plant this, or your child first begins to drive, and they're taking their friends somewhere, and you want to have the conversation with them about how distracted driving is the number one cause of accidents, and with the radio on loud, and everyone horsing around, and checking everything out, that's highly dangerous, and even right now, some of the high school and junior high kids are rolling their eyes at me, I can hear it. And they're like, yeah, you old bald dude, you don't know me. You've never seen me drive. I don't have to. I drove. I was 16. And see, what I say to my boys is I know that they, in that moment, they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Are you done? And it's like I'm planting a seed that one day they're going to look back. And this isn't the end game, although I like it. But one day they're going to look back and think, he wasn't as dumb as I thought he was. He was warning me of something that he experienced, that all of us experience, and if we just pay attention, and Jesus is having that moment. So if you're in the room today, and you're not a parent yet, you've been a kid, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are moments that our parents told us things we didn't want to hear in the moment. We didn't know how to hear it in the moment. We didn't understand it in the moment. But as life experience came upon us, we went, oh, yeah. And Jesus is saying to his disciples this night, you're not going to get it. The next 24 hours are going to traumatize you. It's going to take you right off your feet. But I want you to remember. In fact, I'm going to give you a way to remember it. I'm going to send another counselor, the Holy Spirit, and he is going to teach you, and he is going to guide you, and he is going to remind you. See, he's telling them that you're not going to get it right now, but it's all going to come together, and you're going to understand. He's making the same promise to us. I know this. I say this very, I say it a lot around here, and I'm not ashamed to be repetitive with this. If you look at the disciples and their level of understanding and their insight in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to realize they weren't getting 50% of what Jesus was saying. And then you look in the book of Acts and you read what the disciples understood, and all of a sudden they began to connect the dots and they remembered what Jesus taught, and they were being led by the Holy Spirit to understand it, and they began to inspire other people with it. It was powerful. What was the difference? What Jesus promised this night, he said, I am saying this to you while I'm with you. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and he is going to remind you and teach you. Remind you and teach you. I've looked through all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and there's no stenographer there that night. So how 30 or 40 years later could the Apostle John remember with such detail all that Jesus said? It wasn't because they were brilliant or insightful. It was because Jesus gave them a promise and fulfilled it. The Holy Spirit reminded John of what Jesus said. And John then begins to tell us, oh, and he meant this, and we didn't understand it. How many times have you seen that in the Gospels? John's like, he told us that night, but we didn't get it. And now John got it. Why? Because of the promise of the Holy Spirit. And see, here's Jesus' answer, and it's important, because what he promises us is fulfilled. So in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, I was taking a class when I was a sophomore in college a, a lifetime ago. 
And I was taking this class on the pastoral epistles, which are the letters of First, Second Timothy, and Titus. And it's Paul wrote these to two young preachers, and it's instruction on how to serve the church and guide in the word and so forth. And in this was this passage. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. And I remember the conversation in class, and everyone was using this, like, yeah, and that means the Bible's real and the Bible's true. And I remember having this moment of doubt. And I know that for some of you who don't know me very well, for those of you who know me, you know there's a lot of doubt in who I am and what I should be doing. But when, if you don't know me, you might think that because a preacher stands on stage or he's involved in a church staff that he's never had a moment of doubt and he's never wondered, he's never had really deep questions. He just blindly bit the apple and off he went. No, it's not true. And one of my biggest questions when I was in Bible college, and I wasn't going to be a preacher, I was going to be a sports writer, that's another story. So I wasn't paying half the attention I should have. But I remember hearing all my classmates talk about this passage and it, the, the thought hit me and it hit me hard. It shook me. My question was, yeah, but when Paul wrote this, there was no New Testament. It was just the Old Testament. And so this is not a, this isn't proof for what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John going forward. And Paul was writing this and he was speaking of the scriptures and the scriptures would have been the Old Testament. And I was really nervous. And I'll be honest with you, I bit that inside of me and I held it down and I thought, I don't know because I was scared of the answer. I was scared if someone gave me an answer and it wasn't sufficient that I might lose my faith or I might say, well, then the New Testament isn't trustworthy and how do we know we're following the right thing? And I began to become very scrambled inside and I had a hard, hard year with these questions of doubt in my heart. And I remember going into another class and my Old Testament professor was teaching it and I really respected this guy because A, he was a Cub fan and he was brighter than bright. And so I sat under Dr. Doty and I had a lot of conversations with him and I remember in an Old Testament class, this, the passage of the canon of scripture, which is a fancy term for which scriptures are counted and which ones were dismissed. And he was instructing us on this, and I asked him the question. I said, Paul was talking about the Old Testament scriptures, right? In 2 Timothy, and Dr. Doty said, yeah, he was. And I thought, ah. Oh. And he said, what's your question? And so I said, can I ask you after class? And after class, I just went to his office and I said, this has always bothered me. How do we know the New Testament is there? And he stopped and he looked at me and I expected him to rebuke me. He wasn't a mean man, but I expected him to tell me, you knucklehead, have you not been paying attention? And my answer would have been, oh, I haven't. But anyway, he didn't. He looked at me and he said, Mark, you have Jesus. And I said, yeah, but how do I know these books? He goes, Mark, turn your Bibles to John 14. So I opened my big Bible and I opened it. And in John 14, verse 26, Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit would bring about the other scriptures through his inspiration in the same way that he did the Old Testament scriptures. And my heart grew that day like the Grinch. Because I had been protecting myself for fear that the answer I heard wouldn't convince me. And then I listened to Jesus' words where he says, No, the Spirit will come and it will bring these things to remembrance. And he will teach you all the things that I've commanded. And you will be instructed in this. And I began to look and go, Isn't that interesting? Peter and John and James and Paul were all inspired in the same way that Jesus promised they would be inspired. And I've begun to realize there's so much truth found in this. And then I hear Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
Verse 12, he says, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. Everything Jesus said that night in the upper room, Paul is affirming here. Paul's saying that I didn't write these scriptures because I'm so brilliant or I had insight that nobody else had. He said, I had the spirit of God guiding me and leading me. I don't believe that Paul's, if he wrote left-handed, I don't believe his left hand just started automatically writing, but the Holy Spirit led him and inspired him to teach these things and share these things just like Jesus said he would. Why would I tell you all that? Because if you don't know the word of God, you can't live the will of God. The word of God is not to be studied by me for you or your your favorite teacher or your favorite celebrity preacher or your favorite author. Beth Moore can't give you the word of God. She can show you what she's learned, but it is so rich. It is so beautiful. This just isn't a book. It is the scriptures of the living God inspired by the Holy Spirit so you and I know how to have joy and how to have peace and how to have faith. Jesus said, I'm telling you this while I'm with you so that when I'm gone and the Spirit comes, you will remember the things And John would write chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, some of the most profound theology in all of Scripture. John would write that, and the night he heard it, he didn't understand it. Then he would come to understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things. Are we being taught? You might say, well, it's easy for you. You went to Bible college. I didn't pay attention, church. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. I chased Heather and messed around the entire four years. I had to learn everything I know about the Bible after I got out of college. And if the Holy Spirit can work with a thick head like me, then none of us have an excuse in this room not to open the Word of God because it is not about your intelligence or your understanding. It's about the Holy Spirit opening your eyes and enlightening you to the truth. You'll never know the will of God unless you get in the Word of God, even if it's one bite at a time. Challenging you today to understand what Jesus wants you to receive comes in connection to the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Now let's look at the second part. How are we to receive the power he gave to us? How are we to receive this that he says he wants us to have, that he promises to give us? Jesus said, I'm going to begin in a very awkward way. We're going to do verses 30, 31, 29, 28, 27, because I want to show you how it's connected. Verse 30. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. They're going to leave the upper room after this statement. Jesus packs them up and they begin to walk. It's probably a three-mile walk. It's down a very steep cliff hill through a dark, dark valley and up another large hill, maybe a mountain to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't a stroll through a nice little wooded path that was six blocks. This would have been about a three-mile walk. It would have been very difficult. It would have been a flat plain. It would have been at night. They would have gone through the valley known as Gehenna or the Valley of Death, interestingly enough. And Jesus is saying, we're going to go on this long night to this dark place, and we're going to wait. And Jesus has positioned himself where Judas could find him, And it's a very, very powerful moment. And Jesus said before, I won't be with you much longer. He realized that very soon he would be arrested and tortured and killed. And he's telling them in advance, I am telling you what's going to happen so you are not shaken to your core. And I want you to understand what I'm offering you by what I'm about to do. He wants them to see and believe, first of all, that Satan is real. It concerns my heart today that we have made Satan mythology 
or we've written him off as some metaphor. I want you to know Jesus absolutely believed that he was real because Jesus knew he was. And for you and I to dismiss it is a mistake. But he says that the one, the evil one is coming for me. And then I love this line. He says, and he has nothing on me. See, Jesus is not going to the cross. I want you to understand this theologically. Jesus did not go to the cross because Satan trapped him. Jesus did not go to the cross because Satan caught him. Jesus went to the cross because he loved us. And when he tells us that he has nothing on me, the accuser could not accuse Jesus because God would go, what? Now, when Satan accuses me, God goes, oh, yeah. But when Jesus was a sinless, perfect, spotless lamb, the accuser has nothing. He has no truth to offer about who he is. The problem is our sin gives Satan a truth to be used against us. And Jesus is telling us that night, he has no hold or claim on me. Satan is powerless to rule a sinless man. But Jesus said, but I want you to know that what I'm about to do, I do because I love the Father and he has asked me to. Did you notice that? Jesus is taking away Satan's power by saying, it is real on those who sin, but it is not real on me. He has no hold on me. He wants us to know that love led him to the cross, not Satan. And that shows his power and his sovereignty and his love for us. Satan is not the explanation for why Calvary happened. Love is. And that's why we can receive the three things Jesus wants us to have. Let's look at verse 29 about faith. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. Jesus is prophesying about what's going to take place and letting them know he's absolutely in control. There's no question about why this is occurring. He's gonna, he wants them to know in their minds, in their hearts, in their souls that night that Satan didn't bring this about, and Pilate didn't bring this about, or Herod didn't bring this about. The Jewish leaders didn't bring it about, and the Roman soldiers didn't bring it about. Jesus would tell us in John chapter 10, nobody takes my life from me, I give it. Evil does not have the upper hand, love does. So let me ask you this question here. What has Jesus ever said would happen that is not? This might be the question I ask you to ponder this week. What has Jesus said would happen that is not? And if it has not happened yet because he prophesied it even further than our lifetimes, has what he's promised that's come true, is that not enough for you? Has Jesus ever broken a promise? Has he ever failed in one of the things he said he would do? And the answer is no. Then can you trust him for those things that have not occurred yet? Can you, can you have faith in who he is and his faithfulness even when you're scared? Because Jesus showed that faithfulness toward his father by going to the cross because love led him there, not Satan. You see, if it, if it was true at history's darkest hour that God is faithful... It can be true for you in your darkest hour. Jesus said, I'm telling you now that even though this looks tragic, God is in control of this. God is sovereign, and I'm trusting him. Second thing is joy. Verse 28, you heard me say I'm going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. 
And this has caused some consternation in some, some literature that you read about, well, you know, is Jesus really, is there a trinity? Is Jesus equal to God because he says that the Father is greater than I? I think if you take the context of what Jesus is speaking about, he's talking about in his incarnation, his essence is the same as the Father, but his place, his position is less because he lowered himself to become a man, to die on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for us as a human being. He did this and he lowered himself so the glory of God would be shown in a greater way way. But then Jesus flips that and he says, but I want you to have joy in your heart that I am returning to my father, that I'm returning back to my glory and that he sits down at the right hand of the father. And it's by sitting at the right hand of the father, he advocates for us each and every time. So now when the accuser comes to those washed in his blood through the cross, when they come and the accuser says, Mark Christian said this, God says, yes, he did. And Jesus said, I took care of it. And when Satan says, Mark Christian's a liar, God says, yeah, he is. Jesus said, I covered it in my blood. You see, when the accusation is made and it's true, I cannot defend myself. I can only say guilty. But Jesus sits down and he said, there should be great joy knowing that I am sitting at the right hand of my father and I am judging all things and I am advocating for every single one of you. You should be happy I'm with my father because Jesus also promised that I'm going to my father and then I will return and I will bring you to him. You see, it's more than just yay for Jesus. It's, and if he is who he says he is, he's returning to bring us back. You see, we can praise God today that the Father and the Son love each other that much. That Jesus would obey the Father and the Father would send his only Son to die. We can thank God that Jesus loves us that much to go to the cross. But you can also have joy in your spirit today. That Jesus says, and then I'm going to come back and get you and bring you back to the Father like into the Garden of Eden. Read the book of Revelation and see that it doesn't end in a garden by a beautiful tree where it all began. And there should be joy in our hearts, a joy that the world can't take from us, knowing that Jesus is faithful and that there is a, there's a gladness of spirit for who Christ is. And then there's peace. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus was fully aware of the distress his disciples were going over. And he didn't say to him, oh, just buck up. Pull yourself up. Be strong. Keep a stiff upper lip. Just do the best you can. Oh, don't be a baby. No, Jesus said, no, listen, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you peace unlike the world gives. You see, the world gives us peace when we're healthy or we're wealthy or people think well of us or we're comfortable. Jesus said, no, I'm going to give you a peace that when you're not healthy and you're poor, and the world doesn't think much of you and you don't have a lot of comforts. You're struggling and it's the, the dark night of the soul, if you will. I'm going to give you a peace that makes no sense. A peace the world doesn't get because the world gives you a peace when you're in control. Jesus said, I will give you a peace when you're not. And on that night, do you think that's what they needed? A peace to understand that what was happening to Jesus was still under God's sovereignty? A peace that was beautiful? A peace not based on good circumstances, but on all circumstances. See, millions in history have gone to death facing deny Jesus or die. They're called martyrs. Millions of people in history, not a handful, millions of people have chosen to stand up for Jesus and trust Jesus through the worst moments of life and have died with the peace that passes all understanding. And the, the revelation that John has at the end 
of our Bibles says that they're all standing by Jesus, calling out, saying, come, Jesus, come, come and redeem what we've given to you. Not because he's delaying, but they're celebrating that his word is true and faithful and they did not die for, for some stupid cause. They died for something that matters. And their voices scream out for justice and for the goodness of God to be displayed. The Apostle Paul would write this to a group of Christians in Philippi. He would say these words, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, doesn't make sense to us, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard what? It will guard your heart for faith and joy and peace. And will guard your minds to remind you that in the midst of the darkest nights, you see, the 23rd Psalm should be our psalm today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall want nothing. He guides me, he leads me, he protects me. He even takes me to the valley of the shadow of death, but I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff protect me. You prepare a table in front of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And the author of Psalm 23 didn't have a perfect life. He had a with God life. And Jesus would say that night, the thing I want you to have, I want you to receive these from me. Even before the worst night of their life, So I want you to have these. And I'm going to ask you today the same question I began with. Have you received what Jesus died to give you? This is right in front of you. It's available to every single one of us. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to give X amount of dollars. You don't have to do anything so incredibly noble. In fact, you have to do one of the the things that brings no nobility to you at all. You need to fall on your knees before Jesus and receive what he's offering you. Have you received his sovereignty over your life to bring you faith? Can you trust Jesus has it when you don't? That every promise he's made will be fulfilled. That he went to the cross not because evil got him. He went to the cross because love got us. Do you have faith in that man? Have you received the joy? The joy of knowing that as Jesus returned to the Father to be our advocate, that the blood that he offered us on the cross restores our relationship with God. Until that day, we gather around the table of Jesus and we drink that cup of wine one more time with him and we celebrate that we have passed over from death to life. And have you received the peace that is God's favor on your life? A peace that passes all understanding, that guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Faith, joy, peace. We have an amazing Savior. We have an amazing salvation. His death purchased our forgiveness. His death satisfied God's justice. And his faith imputed me and you as righteous. Do you have and have you received what he's offering you? Around this room are four tables. You see the lamps in the corners. People have already gone to those tables to meet with you there. I'm going to ask every person, whether you're a believer or you're just kicking the tires, do you have faith? Do you have joy? Do you have peace? You can't manufacture them. You have to receive them. And they're all received in one person, Jesus. If you want someone to pray with you this morning or answer your questions or walk with you as you study the scripture or share with you even how to do that, we'd encourage you to go to one of these tables now. As we stand and sing, as we leave this place, the invitation is receive what he died to bring you. That's the Jesus we worship here this morning. Let's stand together.
Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.